Hey, this is Tim from Kalamunda Church of Christ, and today I hope that this podcast blesses you. If you are wanting to know anything more about our beautiful church, why don't you hop online and head to our website at kalamunda.church. and through uh, what Kyla shared there's not only power in your name but there's freedom you know, to live as you intend as your children in your kingdom here on earth Amen thank, let's thank the team thanks team I know they had a, a few issues this morning but uh, that was awesome worship I'm always moved by the worship here when I come so thank you Oh, that's for later. Well, good morning. Um, Thank you. Uh, It's become a joke, but it's raining today because I'm here. (laughs) Um, It's just really weird, isn't it? It's funny. My name's Matt, and I'm part of the teaching team down at New Spring, and I've really enjoyed being a part of the teaching team here over the last year or so. Um, And I know we've got some stuff coming up where I get to come and speak and do some stuff in the next few months. Um, Oh. We won't, we won't score that. Are you okay? Yes. Yeah, so, um, yeah, just really blessed to be here and looking forward to sharing God's word with you uh, again this morning. We're going to keep going in our series on the uh, Sermon on the Mount, as we've been doing. Um, so if, you're, uh, if you've been following along, then uh, great. If not, let me encourage you to try and find the podcasts. Um, I'm presuming they've been recorded here as well, so you can find out from the team where to find those. Um, uh, And I was here a couple of weeks ago, I spoke on Jesus' teaching around murder and hatred, and I think Dave was here uh, last week, spoke on Jesus' teaching around adultery, and this week we're looking at Jesus' teaching around oath-taking. So it's going to be interesting, I'm really looking uh, forward to it. So if you've got your Bibles, um, or if you'd just like to listen along and read today's passage for you, uh, with you, and then we'll jump straight in and see what we might discover as uh, as a family today. So Matthew chapter 5, reading from verse 33. Again, you have heard that it was said to our ancestors, you must not break your oath, but you must keep your oath to the Lord. But I tell you, don't take an oath at all, either by heaven, because it is God's throne, or by the earth, because it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, because it is the city of the great king. Neither should you swear by your head, because you cannot make a single hair white or black. But let your word be, let your word yes be yes, and your no be no. Anything more than that is from the evil one. You might recall from our series so far in the uh, in the in the Sermon on the Mount series that in verse twenty, Jesus highlights for his readers and for us the major problem that all followers. Face And the problem is worded like this, that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. And that's kind of the, kind of the platform or the launch, the launch pad for what he's been saying in this next section of the Sermon on the Mount. He was, of course, exaggerating the point. 
that, that we have absolutely no way of making ourselves righteous before God simply by doing the law. That, that's the point that he's trying to make. It's not actually possible because the law was always intended to show us the path to true righteousness. And that path is only found through the coming of the Messiah, through Jesus, through faith and obedience in God's promise. And that as kingdom-minded people, we could only ever hope to live out this different way of living that Jesus is talking about through faith and obedience. It was always the case and it always will be the case. That when we live our life as kingdom-minded people in faith and obedience, we are in fact practising the very essence of the law. And that is, of course, that we would love God and love others. So in order to highlight this, uh, what this kingdom-minded living looks like, Jesus picks out six practical examples from the rabbinical teachings of the time, from the Jewish law, and he reframes them with a kingdom perspective. Murder, adultery, divorce, taking oaths, which we'll look at today, seeking revenge and loving our enemies. You might also recall, if you were here a couple of weeks ago when I spoke, um, that we talked about the importance of this phrase and we find it each time at the beginning of these six different subject matters. And the phrase goes like this, you have heard that it was said. Do you recall me speaking about that a couple of weeks ago? In the Gospels and in particular in Matthew's Gospel, whenever Jesus refers to or quotes the Old Testament, he, we always find the phrase, the written word or it is written every time. So when Jesus says you have heard that it was said, we immediately know that he's talking about something different, about something else. And that something else happens to be the teachings and traditions of the religious leaders. That's what he's addressing in this part of his Sermon on the Mount. As I said last time I was here, we need to keep in our mind that the context here is that the majority of people were not able to read, and in fact even some were not allowed to read the scriptures for themselves. And so, uh, like good followers, they went to the local synagogue where the scriptures were read to them, and the teachers of the law would then explain and expand on the meaning of those readings. The problem was, however, that the teachings and the explanations of the law that the, that the religious leaders gave, they just really descended into a complicated list of do's and don'ts. And so that's what the people were really getting. In fact, for the most part, the teachers of the law no longer translated the law and interpreted it for the people, but rather they taught from their own teachings, the Talmud and other teachings like that, which really were nothing more than an... Ex not nothing more. They were really just an ex exhaustive codification of rabbinic traditions long 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 lists of how to interpret each of the 613 laws plus all the other stuff and they broke it down and then they broke it down again and then they broke it down again and that's what we like to do as humans we like to categorize and list and and put in boxes because we think it makes it helpful what actually happened in, in effect was that the traditions of men began to replace the word of God. And that was something that God said would happen when he spoke through the prophet Isaiah, these 700 years before even the time of Jesus. So when we look at our passage this morning in Matthew chapter 5, uh, verses 33 to 37, one of the questions we might ask this morning, and I've got a few questions that we're going to ask and answer this morning, is this, 
What does the Old Testament say about taking oaths? Well, for the most part, the religious leaders, uh, what they had to say about making and about breaking oaths was actually quite correct, for the most part. You must not break your oath, but you must keep your oath to the Lord. That's in the law. No argument about that. And if we were to have a quick look at the Old Testament, we could confirm this, and there's a lot more passages than these, but these are the main ones referenced particularly to this passage in Matthew. Leviticus 19.12 says, You must not swear falsely by my name, profaning the name of your God, I am Yahweh. Notice there, the writer, not the Dave writer, um, you must not swear falsely by my name. Do you see the context? If you're going to swear by my name, don't do it falsely. In, in other translations, it might say, do not forswear, which means to, to deliberately swear falsely, knowing that you're going to break it. Deuteronomy 23, verses 21 to 23. If you make a vow to the Lord your God, do not be slow to keep it, because he will require it of you, and it will be counted against you as sin. That's pretty heavy, isn't it? But if you refrain from making a vow, it will not be counted against you as sin. Does that make sense? That's actually quite simple when you think about it. If you make a vow, make sure you keep it. Because if you don't keep it, you're in sin. But if you don't make a vow, then there's nothing to get wrong. Now, that's not escapism. That's not like saying, well, I'm afraid of failure, so I'm not going to try anything. It's not that kind of mentality. It's actually quite a simple principle. If you make a vow to the Lord, keep it, otherwise he'll hold it against you. If you don't make a vow, that's not a sin. Because there's no sin, there's nothing that you can do wrong because you haven't promised anything. Does that make sense? So it's quite clear, really, in the Old Testament. Be care- Again, in Deuteronomy, be careful um, to do whatever comes out of your mouth or out of your lips because you have freely vowed what you promised to the Lord your God. I think that's pretty straightforward, isn't it? Numbers 30, and in particular verse 2, but you could read through the whole of Numbers 30, and actually that would be a good reference point for this teaching, the Old Testament teaching on vows and oaths. But in particular, when a man makes a vow to the Lord or swears an oath to put himself under obligation, he must not break his word. He must do whatever he has promised. That's what the law said. Now, you may have noticed two different words in that collection of verses from the Old Testament, oaths and vows. Are they the same thing or are they different? Well, kind of. An oath is a solemn declaration, usually based on an appeal to God or to some revered person or object. For example, you might swear an oath to God or on the Bible that what you are saying is the truth. Or you might pledge an oath to an organisation that you will keep certain things about that organisation secret. Traditionally, And interestingly, in most cultures around the world, um, to swear an oath is a very serious thing. And it's actually often tied to the fate of the person swearing the oath. In other words, uh, if you break your oath, you might be put in prison or punished or worse, put to death, for not telling the truth when you said you would. Or you might be banished from an organisation for divulging secrets In simple terms, an oath is a promise that what you are saying is true. Get that? Let's talk about vows because they're slightly different. A vow is a solemn promise made to another person. 
or another human, and perhaps an organisation in some examples. It usually involves dedicating oneself to a certain act, to service or to a particular way of living, and it is usually legally binding. For example, you make a vow to your spouse when you get married, or you might make a vow never to drink alcohol or cut your hair as an act of worship to God, and there were lots of people through history who did that and, and other things as well. The object of the vow serves as the reminder to what you're dedicating your life to. Does that make sense? So like in, in, in most marriages, um, especially in our culture, we would give a ring as we exchange vows and the ring symbolises the vow or the promise we made to a person, not to an idea, to a person. So that's the difference. It's about committing yourself to a certain way of living and it's usually made for the benefit of the other party. In simple terms, a vow is a declaration that you intend to act a certain way. So do you see the difference? An oath is a promise that what you are saying is true. A vow is a declaration that you intend to act a certain way. So although there is technically a difference between the two, between oaths and vows, they both involve the same principle of truth-telling. In fact, that's the title of uh, this sermon, uh, truth being truth-tellers. In both cases, when you swear an oath or make a vow, you are intentionally and voluntarily making a promise to someone or a commitment to being honest and truthful in a certain matter. That's what it's about. You with me so far? Excellent. So for all intents and purposes, what Jesus is talking about here in Matthew chapter 5 actually applies to both vows and oaths, but he particularly just focuses on oaths. It's important to note, I think, at this point um, in our investigation of this, that, that this is not a passage, this passage does not teach, I just want to make that clear, this passage does not teach that making vows or swearing oaths is wrong. I bet you've heard differently, haven't you? We could spend a couple of hours, we could spend several hours looking through both the Old and the New Testament to see that in and of themselves, vows and oaths are not forbidden. And I could take you to story after story after story and those stories would actually include God and Jesus himself, where vows and oaths were made in their right context. So that's important to note. You see, the problem that Jesus has in this passage is not with the vows and the oaths themselves. The problem he has is with those who are making them and breaking them. And that's what he's going after in this teaching. In particular, Jesus is confronting the heart attitude behind those who are twisting the law, shaping it to meet their own sense of their own moral, righteous piety. Do you remember from the other week what that means? That there were these religious leaders, some of them, who went about all puffed up and presenting themselves in such a way that when people looked at what they did, they could only ever be, be seen as righteous that's what piety means. I'm, look at me. I'm, I'm, I'm perfect. I'm good. I'm a law keeper. I'm favoured. 
Next question. What were the religious leaders doing and teaching that caused Jesus to single out this particular subject uh, for comment? Well, again, to put it into simple terms, the teachers of the law, they knew what the law said, in effect, that if you make a vow to God, you must keep it. That's what the law says. We've just explored that ourselves. If you swear an oath to another person, you are legally bound by it. Numbers 30, as I said, lays out a fairly detailed explanation of the rules around making vows and oaths. And there's also in there um, rules about how you can get out of them, certain conditions for how you can get out of them. But, but it's there in the law and it's, it's clear. The problem was that the religious leaders, as we talked about the other week and as we've been talking about for a few weeks now, they loved to define the law down to the nth degree. They wanted to define it more clearly. They wanted to define particularly what was and what wasn't allowed. And so they introduced a whole heap of new rules. It kind of went a little bit like this. Jewish tradition had concluded correctly that oaths containing the name of God were legally binding. That's what the law says. But an oath that did not contain his name might not be legally binding. You see where the thinking's going? Therefore, if one was to actually exclude the Lord's name in one's oath, substituting it instead for something closely related to God, but not God, then the oath would not technically be legally binding. You can see where this is going, can't you? The nth degree. So instead, they would swear by all sorts of things. They would swear by heaven. They would swear by the earth. They would swear by Jerusalem. They would swear by the temple. They would swear by the gold in the temple. They would swear on this. They would swear on that. They would even swear on their own head. Anything except the name of God. Because if you did that, then it would be legally binding. You see what's happening, don't you? By doing this, they literally create a loophole. One that allows them to be untruthful, intentionally. And that's the point. In fact, it became a common practice, even in day-to-day -day convers you know, day -day conversation, to deliberately swear an oath in the course of your speech um, in this type of way, with the intent of trying to make themselves look righteous. So they'd be talking about this or that, and they would, in the course of their conversation, to make themselves look pious they would say oh I, I swear on the gold in the temple that it's true and people go oh look how righteous he is he's even prepared to swear an oath but then if what they were talking about fell through or wasn't true they go well you know well actually <laughs> I didn't swear in God's name so it doesn't matter I haven't sinned you see how they twist it that's what Jesus is going after they had no intention of keeping that promise if it didn't suit them or if it didn't work out in their favour. And it was this practice, this deceitful heart attitude that Jesus was speaking against. Next question. What did Jesus have to say about swearing oaths? Before we answer that question, we, needed to, we need again to consider the context of this particular passage um, as a whole. Remember that Jesus is confronting the religious leaders about their deliberate twisting of the law to suit their own uh, desires to look more righteous. We've, been, we've talked about that. And, and to demonstrate this, I'm gonna, I, I need to demonstrate this. So if I can just have a volunteer for a moment, just here. 
with anyone. Actually, I might get that back. That's the only one <laughs> so let's demonstrate this, what's going on here. Because actually there's a bigger principle at play here. And all of the six categories that Jesus is speaking into here kind of bounce off this same principle. And they kind of set up the rest of the Sermon on the Mount in one sense. I want you to pay careful attention to the pattern that develops as I walk you through this, okay? And hopefully it'll become clear. I'm sure it will. In verses 21 to 20, and this is the, this is the PG version, so it's okay, it's safe. In verses 21 to 26, Jesus teaches about murder. The law says, do not murder. That's the line in the sand, right? That's... that's that's what's important here. Do not murder. That's what the law says. Some of the religious teachers began to teach that as long as you didn't actually murder someone, then you weren't breaking the law. Right? We talked about this a couple of weeks ago, right? And so really, in effect, what they were doing was, was they were seeing how close they... By defining the law to the nth degree, they're seeing how close to the line they can get before actually breaking the law. That's what they're doing. We all do that, don't we? <laughs> we do, let's be honest. I'll talk about this in a moment. In, uh, hey? It's an art. It's an art. <laughs> For some people, it's a gift. <laughs> <laughs> do not murder. And this is what piety was about. Look at me. I haven't murdered anyone. So I'm not, I don't need to be punished. Therefore, I must be righteous. God's favour must be on me. That's how they thought. Jesus said, <laughs> having a heart attitude of hatred towards someone is no different to wanting them dead. This is the line, and technically, correctly so, but they were so focused on being here that they ignored what it looked like to live here. In this space, there is freedom from the law which brings death and condemnation. That was the law's function, to show us as humans that outside of a saving relationship with Jesus, we are already condemned. As believers, we are free from that condemnation to live in the freedom of the kingdom's heaven's realm. Do you see that? So why would we want to spend all our life doing this? As long as I don't kill someone, but it doesn't matter if I hate them. But as long... Oh, you know the problem with a line? It's not actually really a line. It's a little blurry, and not just because I need glasses... Do you know what I'm saying? We've all been there, haven't we? Where, where is the line? How wide is it? Can I do this? Actually, you know what? I'm feeling all right. But actually, I've crossed the line. Actually, this isn't too bad either. And before you know it, 
you can justify being over here. Does, does that make sense? We should be living in freedom from the law. Jesus came to fulfill the law, not to get rid of it, because it still does what it says it was supposed to do. It points you towards freedom in Jesus. Yeah? That's one of six. Let's keep going. You see, a kingdom-minded person has a heart attitude that seeks forgiveness and restoration. That's this space here. I don't know about you, but I want to be as far away from the line as I can get. That's kingdom living. That's salt. That is salt and light. That is condemnation and guilt and shame. We'll speak some more about this because as you look at these examples, because I feel it, you're going to realise that, you know what, we often live here as Christians and yet we should be at least here. Anyway, let's keep going. Verses 27 to 30, Jesus teaches on adultery. The law says, do not have a sexual relationship with someone who is not your spouse. So there's the line. This is very clear. It's what the law says. There's the line. Some religious leaders taught that it meant, as long as you actually don't engage in a sexual relationship, you are free to express your desires in other ways. So once again, we find them, how close to the line can I get? I use this example, or I have used this example in recent years, in years past. I keep thinking it's yesterday, it was like 20-something years ago, when speaking to young people about the line in the sand, you know, regarding purity. There is a line, but it's very blurry, and it doesn't take much before you're here. You think, oh, this is okay. Next minute you're here. Because that's, that's nature, that's humanity's nature. And we justify being in this position... But in Christ, we're invited to live here, in freedom. Not bound by the law, but free from it. Jesus said, if your heart attitude, and this is important, if your heart attitude is to deliberately entertain lustful thoughts about another person, that's no different to committing adultery. Because it's about the heart. And so Jesus invites us to live in this space. Not over here. A kingdom-minded person has a heart attitude that pursues purity. There's so much more freedom in a relationship over here. Don't live close to the line. Don't do it because you're not that strong. I'm speaking to young people here probably, mainly. You're not, I don't care how strong you think you are, you're not. Because it's, it's a God-given natural intent. But if you dance close to the line, you're going to fall over it. You won't be able to help it. And there are people here who hold it who will testify to that truth if they're honest. Listen to their wisdom. It's not about rules, by the way. It's about living in freedom. Is that okay? In chapters 31, uh, we covered that one. In in chapters 31 to verses 32, Jesus teaches on divorce, a tough teaching. And again... um, Brett spoke on this brilliantly last week at Newspring, and I would encourage you if you get a chance to listen to the podcast. And I'm actually stealing this, even though I've used this idea before, I'm actually stealing it from him because he used it last week as well. Um, there's no judgment in, in what I'm about to say. I'm just going to say what the scripture says, but I want you to hear the principle, right? I just want to make that clear. We've all sinned, we're all guilty of doing this. <laughs> and not, no one sin is worse than the other in God's eyes. 
So, so we're all the same, so there's no judgment. But the law says, if you divorce your wife or husband, we know it goes both ways, if you divorce your wife, you must give her a divorce notice. That's what the law says. It also says, if you want to be technical, that the only grounds for divorce is, faithful, is marital unfaithfulness. That's the only grounds. This, this can be a grey area, but that's what the law says. You must give her a divorce notice. So what the religious teachers began to teach was, you may divorce your spouse for any number of reasons as long as you actually give her a divorce notice. Let's see how close to the line we can get on this one. Oh, oops. Oh, we might as well go further. You see what they're doing, don't you? I'm, I'm labouring the point because I want you to really grasp this. It's freeing. I won't list them. Brett had a huge long list, which he got from his study on this subject. It's actually hilarious in a really sad way, but you could legally, in those times, you could legally divorce your wife if her head was shaped like a melon. <laughs> I'm not joking. I'm not joking. And there was something to do with a goose. You could compare some part of your wife to a goose. Seriously. Well, don't get me started, but... No, I'm not, and I'm not even joking. There's this whole list of ridiculous things which the scribes and Pharisees determined. If, 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 <laughs> I mean, I'm speechless as I think about it. But as long as you gave a divorce paper, you were righteous. You see the problem with that? It's not what God said. In fact, it's far from what God said. Jesus said the only grounds for divorce is unfaithfulness because anyone who initiates a divorce for any other reason for that is actually the unfaithful one. And I'm paraphrasing there, but that's what he teaches and what the New Testament teachers, other teachers would, would say. Now, of course, there are, there are things around that because human relationships are complex and sometimes we're not very good to each other and I understand that, I get that. But it is quite clear. Thank God, literally, that there's forgiveness for sin freely given for all, regardless of what your circumstance is. Because if there wasn't, I think we'd, we'd all be stuffed on any number of issues, right? Yeah. That's why there's no judgment here. Is that okay? You see, a kingdom-minded person has a heart attitude that seeks to serve the best interest of the other person. And the context here is a marriage relationship. It's a, a kingdom-minded person has a heart attitude that seeks to serve the best interest of another person, of the other person. That's living in freedom. Yes? It's not bound by the law. The law's clear. But we don't need to live here. We're invited to walk here in this space, in the salt and light. That's good, eh? That's three out of six. Let's do the next one because it's the one we're actually focusing on today. Verses 33 to 37, Jesus teaches on swearing oaths. The law says if you swear an oath, you must keep it. We've covered that, right? Some of the religious teachers taught that as long as you didn't swear an oath that actually uses God's name, <laughs> let's get really close to the line again. If you're actually, even if you swear an oath that actually doesn't use his name, then you don't necessarily need to keep it. 
You see the principle at work here, don't you? Oops. Oh, well, I've come this far. Let's just push it as far as we can. And that's what they were doing instead of living in freedom. Jesus said, and again, I paraphrase in one sense, every promise you make, you make before God. No matter what you swear on. And the principle here is, is that it wouldn't matter what in the created universe you swore on, God made it, so it's his anyway. So by definition, you're swearing on his name because he's the creator. There's nothing that you can find in your existence, unless you're an alien or something, that there's nothing you can find in your existence that God didn't create. You get the picture? No matter what you swear on, it is better, and this is what Jesus actually says, and the writers of the New Testament back this up, it's better not to swear an oath than to break one and lose your integrity and be called a liar. Does that kind of bring it together? There's nothing wrong with vows and oaths, but you're better not to make one than to break one and, and lose your integrity and be called a liar. And it's, I didn't even want to go there, it's all right. A kingdom-minded person has a heart attitude that demonstrates honesty and integrity in all their dealings. That's walking in freedom. Yeah? And there's a whole heap of sayings, both biblical and not biblical, that are still good wisdom. But, you know, this idea of, you know, a lie will always catch you out. And if you live an honest life, then you've got nothing to hide. Um, and a person who tells the truth can be trusted, blah, 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 blah. You all know those because they're true. If a person has integrity because of what they say and what they say they will do is what they say and what they say they will do, then you can trust them, right? Because they demonstrate it in their life. They live over here. They're not lying. They're not deceiving you. They're an honest person. You know, and again, young people, let me encourage you to pursue this, and not, and not just young people, but your integrity, no one can ever take that from you. You can only throw it away. People can give you a reputation that's not deserved, they can give you a bad name that's not deserved, but they can't say you have no integrity when you do. So pursue integrity. Pursue it. If you don't pursue anything else, pursue integrity in your walk. It might not get you the promotion. <laughs> it might not make you rich. It might not bring you favour in the world's eyes. But you can go to the grave knowing that you are an honest person and in God's eyes that has far more value than any promotion. Anyway, that was added in. But it's good, right? The king, yeah, so the kingdom-minded person demonstrates honesty and integrity at all times. And then Jesus goes on to teach uh, about taking revenge and, and loving one's enemies in the next two sections of this story. We won't go into them, but the principle's the same. The religious leaders wanted to define what the law said so that they could work out how they could get as close to the line as possible. And Jesus condemns them for their hard attitude because they're twisting it to suit their own uh, desire to be righteous. 
They wanted to see how close to the line they could get before they actually broke the law. And Jesus says quite clearly, I think, that the path to righteousness, the way to live as kingdom-minded people, is not about what you shouldn't do. It's not about this. It's not about how close to the line you can get. Kingdom-minded people, it's about what you should do. It's about walking and living in this space as salt and light. That's what it means. It's kingdom living. It's embracing a different way of living that actually reflects the heart and nature of God. Pursue righteousness because it brings honour to God. That's what it means. If you want to live a life of worship, that's what worship is, actually. It's living in this space because that brings honour to God. Your light shines. You're you're a preservative in a decaying world. That's what it means to be salt. You're, You're a preservative in a decaying world and you're shining light into a dark space. You know the other interesting thing, I think, is that actually the closer you get to the line, the darker and more corrupt the world is. Because on the other side of the line is disconnection from God and sinfulness. Does that make sense? I'm being very, I'm a very visual person here. So why would you want to live just here in the, in the half shadows? Why would you not want to walk in the freedom of the light? Come on, yeah, exactly. Come on, people. Let's, let's pursue this. That's what's going to make a difference in our world. The world already knows what this looks like. You know why? Because without Jesus, I already live here. That's just the truth of it. We all, we all started here. We were born here. All were born. We were all born into sin. At, at, at best, when we were first born, we were innocent. And I guess for a fleeting moment, our lives balanced on the line. But those of you who have had children will know that it's... You know what I'm saying, don't you? Bless them. Salt and light, we're nearly done here. There's another question that we have to ask and address. What does this actually mean practically for us today? Because this passage has been misused, actually, I think, more than some of the others. As followers of Jesus, should we swear oaths or not? You've heard that question before, right? You maybe grappled with it. Well, I hopefully can give you an answer. Because, you know, this topic has been hotly debated over the years, over the centuries even, and it's one that we obviously don't really have time to delve into specifically deeply today. And so the short answer is simply yes and no. (laughs) A concise study of the Bible will show that although swearing an oath is not advisable, if you are required to do so, then do so with every intention of keeping your word. Abide by your word. Because you know what? This is the nature of the reality of the world we live in. There are going to be times in your life when you are required or you might be required to swear an oath, like in a court of law. Or if you enter into public service, maybe the armed forces or the police force or some other public service. Um, Making a statutory declaration is a form of oath. Did you know that? You're signing your name and you're saying, this is the truth, so say I. It's an oath. It's not illegal. Sometimes you're required to do it. 
in fact, in Australia, as in a lot of uh, countries, I believe, um, there's actually an allowance for people who do not want to swear an oath um, on religious grounds. In fact, it's actually probably there for those who don't believe in God and they don't want to swear an oath on religious grounds either. But it's called an affirmation. And an affirmation is a verbal, solemn and formal declaration which is made in place of an oath. A person may choose to make an affirmation rather than taking an oath, but an affirmation still has the same effect and the same weight as an oath in the eyes of the law of the land. For example, a witness appearing in court might affirm something like this, I solemnly and sincerely declare and affirm that the evidence I shall give will be the truth, the whole truth and nothing but the truth. That's an oath. You are saying solemnly, sincerely and voluntarily that what I'm about to say is the truth. And it's legally binding. Because if you don't tell the truth after giving an affirmation, it's actually a criminal offence. Is it called perjury? I'm not sure the technical term. You can go to jail for that. So it carries as much weight as an oath, probably even more. But in regard to our every day lives, our day-to-day conversations. This is what Jesus is teaching. And as I said, other New Testament authors like Paul and James, they, con- they confirm this. I think the scripture makes it very clear that we should refrain from making oaths in our day-to-day conversation because as followers of Jesus, our attitude should always be one of honesty and integrity. We should always be walking in this space. So we actually don't need to add oaths to our conversation, whether flippantly or formal. And we all do it flippantly. We've all done it. You know, oh, I swear on my, you know, swear on my nana's grave that I'm telling the truth. Why would you do that? You don't need to swear on anything because you should be known as a truthful person. You know what? And I think Jesus was getting at the heart of the problem here. People who have to swear oaths all the time actually probably aren't living in a truthful space. They live over here, but they have to make it look like they are. And that's what the Pharisees were doing. And that's what they were teaching others to do, which is why he condemned them because it's not what the law intends the law intends that we live in freedom and truth and integrity and purity and confession and restoration and forgiveness and peace and shalom in the place of salt and light is that helpful it's blinking helpful for me I can give you the tip As citizens of, kingdom, of, of as citizens of heaven's kingdom realm here on earth, we should be known as truth tellers. Let your yes be yes, and your no be no. And live in freedom. Live in freedom from the law. You know the other thing, I'm going to pray and we're going to finish. You know the other thing that occurred to me as I was thinking about this? And I struggle with this, so I'm not, again, there's no condemnation here. We're all in the same boat, I guess. Is that so many, and this is me as well, so please hear what I'm saying. As Christians who are saved through the blood of Christ, through faith, positionally we are here, right? Yet we so often live our lives here. And we think that the Christian walk is all about trying to stay close to the line on this side. But it's not the truth. 
you know, we talked about the difference between righteousness, you know, righteousness as in right living, but there's also the imputed righteousness of Jesus. So the righteousness we earn because of his sacrifice and resurrection, regardless of what we do or what say or how we live, if we're followers of Jesus, we actually have righteousness. We're actually reborn. We die to this and we are reborn on, we respawn for you young people on this side of the line. That's what it means. We are new creations. We are no longer living here. We are dead to this. Do you actually believe that? You say you do. I say I do. But so often I find myself, oh, if I only could get closer to that line of righteousness. And God's saying, what are you talking about? You already live here. Why don't you just live in this space? It's actually not, it's not harder to live here. It's actually harder to live there. Actually, if you could picture the line as a precipice, you know, like a really steep mountain ridge. Have you seen guys that ride like mountain bikes along them? Crazy. They're, in, they're the craziest type of bike riders, right? <laughs> Dave's nodding his head. You can't walk this line. You're going to fall one way or the other. And the human, the human inclination is to fall this way. So don't, don't go there. <laughs> go here. Walk in freedom. Walk in purity. Walk in honesty. Walk in integrity. Live as salt and light. Because that brings glory and honour to God. And it's actually a place of freedom. Are we going to sing that again? I hope we do. It's actually, you listen to the words of this song, it's amazing. It's a place of freedom. This is a place of bondage where there are chains and shackles and guilt and shame. We don't live there anymore as followers of Jesus. We live here. So let's not try and back up to the line all the time. Let's just step out and live in faith. Because that'll make a difference, not only in your life, but in your community. Absolutely. I've been reading through and collecting prayers, and I want to share a prayer. Some of them are ancient, some of them are contemporary, are modern. I'm not sure where this falls on the spectrum, but I really liked it. So I want to, I want to read this, this prayer to you. Pray that perhaps some of the words and phrases might resonate with you. And if they do, then you can say amen. Loving Father, thank you for Christ Jesus, our Lord who was the perfect example of a man with a godly character and integrity of spirit. Lord, we long to be more like Jesus in all our actions and attitudes. We pray that you would guard our hearts, strengthen our character, teach us your ways, uphold us with your righteous right hand and develop in us the grace and integrity that only comes from being in Christ. Help us to be true to your word and righteous in all our doings and enable us to conquer the temptations, tests and trials that will inevitably come our way in a manner that is pleasing to you. Help us to be diligent in our work, faithful in our witness, helpful to those to whom we have come in contact with and ready to wait on you and your right timing and for your best direction. We pray that you would give us more of your grace so that we may speak the truth in love. Enable us to grow in sincerity and wisdom and in the light of your perfect love. Search out any dark areas in our hearts that need to be cut away or pruned back so that we may be fruitful in your kingdom. Growing in grace and increasingly conformed to the image of the Lord Jesus Christ in whose name we pray. Amen. Team are going to lead us, bless you. I hope that's an encouragement to you.